0: Welcome to the Table Community Church Podcast. The Table is located in the Gallowson Valley in Southwest Montana and is joining God in bringing people together around the good news of Jesus. If you have any questions, or if there is in any way we can serve you, please let us know by reaching out to hello at thetablechurch.us. Again, that is hello at thetablechurch.us. We hope you enjoy the following episode. Hey everyone, I hope you are doing well this week as we are continuing our series called Life Around the Table. And this series is about reorienting our vision of what it means to be the church in today's society by looking back into the early church and finding important practices and principles that we can integrate into our lives during these uncertain days that will bind us closer together with God and each other. And so it's a very important series that we're walking through. We've had a a really good response to the last couple of weeks. It's cool to hear the God stories that are coming out of this. And so would love to stay in touch with you as we continue this series. Now today we are talking about something that's probably one of the most neglected elements in the individual and the church's life. And that is the the topic of prayer. And if, if you don't take away anything today, the one thing I want you to hear is just the simple message that we're going to unpack. And that is a deep prayer life is one that endures. A deep prayer life is one that endures. As we look back to Acts chapter 2, it becomes very clear that one of the things that they devoted themselves to is prayer. In fact, you can't turn the pages of the New Testament or the Old Testament for that matter and not stumble upon a text about prayer or a text that implicates prayer or that tells us something about prayer. Prayer it is vitally important for the life of those who for the lives of those who follow Jesus and so it's one practice that we have to reclaim in our church and in our lives if we are going to experience spiritual growth in depth especially during uncertain and challenging times and so the text you just read was Luke 22 verses 39 through 46 and in that text it's very clear that prayer is central to This important moment in Jesus's life and so one of the things that come out of this text for me is kind of guidance to what it means to have an enduring prayer life and if you're somebody who likes to take notes that's gonna be the title of of this teaching is pray hard pray hard I've got this title because the other day as I was preparing and thinking and praying about this teaching I had to go run an errand and I was running on down Jackrabbit Lane, and there was this telephone pole and that had this random sign on it, and this random sign just said, Pray hard. And I thought, man, there it is. There is the title for the teaching, and that's what this is all about. Experiencing an enduring prayer life as we find in the ministry of Jesus. And I don't know that I talk to anybody who doesn't long for that more deeply connected prayer life, but prayer is so complex. It's so complex because we come into it with all these questions. Some of it, sometimes we come into it with guilt because perhaps we haven't prayed in like three months or, or whatever. And so there's all this tension we bring into prayer. And then we don't know how to respond in prayer. How do we hear God's voice in prayer? All of those questions, all of those complexities. But it's still worth having the conversation. It's still worth engaging in because I think as we walk through Scripture, we find out the heart of prayer misconceptions kind of get cleared up a little bit and hopefully we can do that a little bit today but i like what martin luther said martin luther said to be a christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing in other words if we do not recover our prayer lives our spiritual lives will suffocate our spiritual lives are going to suffocate And I like what one other author had said. He said that prayer is the original language of the soul because no matter where we go, wherever people are discovered, people are trying to connect to God through a form of ritual prayer. But what Jesus does is he shows us what the true avenue and intent of prayer really is. This original language of the soul can be relearned as we begin to follow Jesus a little bit more closely. In fact, it was Jesus's prayer life that did something for the disciples. They didn't ask, teach us how to call fire down from heaven, teach us how to debate the Pharisees, teach us how to do all of the miracles that you were doing. No, 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 no. When they looked at Jesus, one of the things they said was teach us to pray. Very direct, teach us to pray. To which Jesus responds with the Lord's prayer. And what we find in Luke 22, Is virtually an enactment and an embodiment of the Lord's Prayer in a very important moment in Jesus's life. You know this is coming right after the Last Supper right before the arrest and so Jesus is in this space where he is having to decide whether he's going to escape or whether he's going to endure and what all of this means for his disciples. He he gets tries to get them to pray it's a very emotionally and intense text but it speaks to the heart of prayer. And so that's that's my heart this morning is, is just teach us to pray. Let's look at Luke 22 and let's see what we learn together about prayer. And so one of the things that we're going to do is we're going to read the text one more time just to get our our, our grips about it to so make sure we understand the text. Um, and then we're going to outline it with a simple acronym, P-R-A-Y. I didn't make this acronym up. I've adapted it a little bit from a guy named Pete Craig. He has a book called how to pray a simple guide for normal people and he argues that if we don't learn to position ourselves simply in prayer we won't learn to discern the voice of God in our lives and I think that's a challenge for most of us in prayer is how do I discern God speaking God's voice and everything that goes into that and so we're gonna read the text and then move into that acronym and so let's read it real quick it says Jesus went, on, went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him on reaching the place he said to them pray that you will not fall into temptation he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them knelt down and prayed father if you are willing take this cup from me yet not my will but yours be done an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him and being in anguish he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground when he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples he found them asleep exhausted from sorrow why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. And so again, we're in this climactic moment. What, what's going to happen? And this is interesting because Jesus is situated in this garden, a regular place of prayer for Him. And when we look back into the pages of Scripture, we go if we're reminded of Adam and Eve sitting in the garden, They fell under the weight of temptation, and so here we have Jesus, the second Adam, as Paul calls him, humanity's new representative of what it means to be truly human and in tune with God and one another, in the garden wrestling with temptation whether to surrender to the Father or take it on his own initiative and will. And so can Jesus do in the garden what Adam and Eve failed to do in the garden? overcome and fully surrender to the will and word and way of God. And so let's just kind of begin to walk through this. I told you we're going to use an acronym, just simply pray. And so the first word is super important as we begin to walk through this text, and that's pause, pause. That one word is full of richness, but it's also really hard to get a grip on pause. This is where prayer is intentional in creating time and space with God. When we open the pages of Scripture here, in Luke 22, we find that it says that Jesus went out to this place as usual, and it was not just simply a place, it was the place. This means Jesus had a regular daily rhythm, and a habit, and a place to go to in prayer. And so, Jesus paused quite frequently. He knew the importance of pausing to be with the Father, and as we look at this, Having an enduring prayer life doesn't happen by accident. We don't simply slip into a well-disciplined, oriented life around prayer. It has to be developed and it has to be fought for. Pause has to be fought for, especially in a culture of hurry. You know, as we, as we survey Jesus' ministry throughout the New Testament, we find Him doing this praying up on the mountainside quite often. As he is, before He selects His 12 disciples, he goes and he spends all night in prayer, all night. And then when he's grieving the death of his cousin, John the Baptist, he goes and prays in solitude. And even here, he, he moves into this space with his disciples, and then he removes himself even further from his disciples. This story is, reco- is, is covered in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and they each give us different elements of the story. But if you go to Matthew and Mark, you find that Jesus had asked them three times to pray, and Jesus said the same prayer three times, but the the emphasis is what Jesus is doing in the space of his prayer life. He has paused and he has began to pray with the Father. It's critical that after the Last Supper, before his arrest, he could have done anything, but he chose to pray. He chose to pray, and again, this is going to have to be fought for in our culture. We live in a we live in a culture that wears busyness like a badge of honor. It's the way we greet one another. How are you? I'm busy how are you? I'm busy. When's the last time you heard somebody say, hey, how are you? And the other person responded, you know, I'm quite calm and not very busy. You know, one, we'd be like, then what do you do with your life? You know, we, we, we equate busyness with meaning or busyness with productivity. But in our culture that wears busyness like a badge of honor, we have to recover the biblical vision of prayer, which begins with pause. Busyness conspires against our depth with God. And it's not to say that we can't ever be busy. In fact, the, when we're talking about the Sabbath, <clears throat> the command for the Sabbath begins with, You shall work six days and then rest. You shall work and then pause. And, and so work and, and being, being busy is not necessarily a bad thing until it begins to conspire and be prioritized over our walk with God. And if we are not intentional about cultivating prayer through pause, beginning with just stopping, then we will drift away like the disciples. The disciples were told, pray that you don't fall into temptation, they fall asleep. <laughs> and so that's kind of how it goes. And not only that, when the, arrest, when the moment of arrest comes, they all flee. They fell into the temptation. Now thankfully God is gracious and that failure wasn't fatal for their faith, but it does show when we are not connected to the Father in prayer, we can more easily drift away. We can more easily drift away. And that's what happened with the disciples. They weren't in tune with prayer, they didn't stay up to pray, and they faltered. But thankfully God's grace is bigger than that. And I think that's a big struggle for us, if we're being honest, this time and busyness and trying to reclaim stillness in the midst of this culture. And one of the things I'm I'm being convicted of in my own life is surveying all the other areas where my time goes and then figuring out, actually I do have time to pray, if I'm being honest, you know, if I have time, To immerse myself in events and sports I have time to pray if I have time to binge watch my favorite show I have time to pray if I have time to hang out with friends I've got time to pray if I've got time to go hunting then I've got time to pray now what we tend to do though is we tend to use prayer as an add-on to those things when we are convicted about not praying so we say while I'm hunting I will pray I'm up in the mountains. I'll pray then. Sure, fine. Do that. That's good. Or while I'm on my way to the game, I'll pray. Sure, fine. That's great. Do that too. But pausing is about getting into the space of prayer in its own right. It's, it's creating space for prayer as its own thing. It's not just adding prayer onto our already existing schedule. It's having prayer in our schedule. An intentional way in place of being and this is really hard especially of a young family if you're if you're if your work is intense I totally understand I totally empathize and get it you know there's a story about Susanna Wesley John Wesley's uh, wife who was was raising ten children her marriage was kind of rocky and shady and her only time she could pray would be in the midst of all that and so one thing that she would do is she'd pull her apron over her head and begin to pray and her kids knew if the apron was over mom's head leave her alone but she found a way to create space for prayer. And that's an encouragement for us as well. Many of our prayers that you find, so pause, when we we pause, you'll find that there's not a lot of happening. We may even get anxious and start getting fidgety and wanna look at our phone or, or whatever. I encourage you to set that aside. And we talk about this often is that prayer is that space where we begin to detox hurry and busyness out of our spirit so that we can concentrate on God. And it's gonna be awkward, it's gonna feel strange, it's gonna be hard to get settled at first, but it's so critical. And one of the things we have to remove is this idea that as soon as we get silent, God's going to just blow up and speak into our lives in some remarkable way. He may do that, and praise God if he does, but a lot of times when we pause, we're simply just opening ourselves up to God, and you'll find that as you continue to do this, you'll have a lot more non-exciting days than you do exciting days. You might have moments of intense clarity and beauty with God, but what sustains an endearing prayer life is not those high moments. It's the, it's the regular rhythm, so oftentimes non-exciting routines. It's just like in any relationship. No relationship is sustained by those high emotional moments. They're sustained by the daily commitment to one another. And that's the space of prayer, building that relationship with God. Not always expecting high climactic moments, but learning to be quiet enough to hear God if he's whispering. That's part of pause. And so according to Pete Craig in his book, the way to start praying is to stop moving and speaking for a moment on a regular basis. So to start prayer, we have to stop something else. So an enduring prayer life only happens if we are intentional. So that's the P, pause. Just pause. Now the R Pete calls it rejoice. I'm, I'm adapting it here. Rejoice and be real. And so what I want you to hear this, hear about this is prayer is affectional and it's honest. We, we are able to be emotive and emotional in the space of prayer as we are. And I think that's an important point. As we survey this text, this text is not so much filled with rejoice, even though we need to frame it um regularly with rejoicing i think on i think you know the the depths of emotional sorrow shouldn't be a daily thing i think we should have a lot more rejoicing than we should uh, deep grief on a daily basis so rejoicing is important and we see it in uh, the lord's prayer and everywhere else but in this text primarily we're dealing with jesus just being real and so yes rejoice in fact it's important to start with celebrating the character of god because Oftentimes when we go through stuff, it's often the character of God that takes the first hike. We say, get out of here. We, how can God be good and allow me to go through this? That's why rejoicing is important. But so is, <clears throat> excuse me, so is being real. So is being real. When you look at this text, listen, listen to some of the language. Pray that you don't fall into temptation. Jesus was filled with anguish. Other Mar- Matthew and Mark say that it was filled with sorrow to the point of death. Sweat like drops of blood. Not sweating blood, but like blood. It was so profuse and anxious. This is an emotionally raw, real text. We are encouraged in prayer to be raw and real. In fact, it says, he withdrew. Jesus withdrew. In the Greek, this word, that's a little soft. The word scholars tell us is more like Jesus was dragged into prayer by his emotional situation, by his angst. He couldn't not go to prayer because of his angst. And that's how it should be. Our deepest emotional state should drive us to prayer. But oftentimes, when we go through stuff, we begin to separate ourselves. But withdrew. He was dragged by his grief into the space of prayer. And it also says that he knelt down. Mark is more blunt. Mark says that he threw himself down. He was under such intensity that he just abandoned everything and laid down on the ground. A particular, or a typical posture in prayer during this time was to stand with your hands like this. Jesus is not concerned about the posture. He is being real, honest, and open before the Father. And I think we struggle to do this. I think part of the reason why we struggle to pray is we have a, oftentimes a misunderstanding of who God is. If our vision of who God is is off, if we view Him as something that He's not, we will not come to Him with our deepest struggles, with our honest emotional state. Because we don't think that He's going to care for that. We don't think that he wants to hear that. Or we feel guilty for going through whatever it is that we're going through so we don't come to him. We have a, a, a skewed vision of God. We might view him as distant, non-interested, indifferent, as a dictator. And if, he, if we view him as someone who's far off, not really close by us, not really with us, then we're only going to go to him when we're feeling good. And it won't be for that long. And if we go through stuff, we won't present ourselves to him because we, feel, we might feel guilt and shame. But that's a skewed sense of who God is. And to be raw and to real, we or to, to be raw and real and to rejoice, we have to understand who he is. And Jesus tells us here, he's father. Father. I love what one author, Ron Rollheiser, says. He says, because we don't understand what prayer is, we treat God as an authority figure or a visiting dignitary, as someone to whom we don't tell the real truth. We don't tell God what is going on in our lives. We tell God what we think God wants to hear. But what's important is to pray what's inside of us, not what we think God would like to see inside of us. Being real with God. Whatever you're going through, whatever you're feeling, that is an entry point to prayer, not a means of escaping prayer. If you are angry, use that anger as an entry into prayer. If you are confused, use that confusion to move into prayer. If you are upset, use that into prayer. If you're excited, use that excitement to move into prayer. Rejoice and be real. If you're struggling, use that struggle as an avenue for prayer. If you're angry at God, use that as an avenue for prayer. You know, when we go to the pages of scripture, scripture is filled with people being brutally honest with God about who they are, what they're feeling, where they're at in life. And so, You go to the Psalms, if you read the Psalms in their context, you begin to ask questions like, can I speak to God like that? Is that okay to be that blunt? And it's at this point where people often get uh, concerned about reverence, reverence, you know, uh, we had father, you are holy. Absolutely. We should be reverent, but there's a reason why Jesus has chosen to use father instead of Lord or just simply God father, because in the, in the as far as we can tell for the jews the word father both both in, uh, both sorry excuse me the word for father implied both royalty and intimacy father was a was a metaphor for kings and and leaders of god's people and spiritual leaders but so it was also a word of intimacy as a like with a parent and so yes we need to be reverent we need to to recognize god's holiness his goodness his otherness from us but sometimes the most reverent thing we can do in prayer is to be completely and totally honest. And if we're not being honest about where we are in prayer, we are actually not treating God as holy. We don't think he can handle what's within us. And so, yes, this, this Father, when Jesus says Father, he's inviting us into reverence and intimacy. And so an enduring prayer life grows when we cultivate both thanksgiving and honesty with God. So we have pause, we have rejoice. And be real use whatever grief pain confusion as an avenue and entry into prayer that's one way to develop an enduring prayer now the next one is ask ask prayer is requesting god to intervene into everyday life paul says this make your requests known before god and people at this point begin to go what request are we talking about well jesus here he requests, he asks, is there any way possible for this cup to pass? Jesus is saying, I don't want to go through this. Is there any way around it? In fact, he prays this three times, apparently, according to the other gospels, three times praying the same prayer with the emotional intensity, sorrow to the point of death, requesting God to do something different. And Jesus is, he's not necessarily concerned about the idea of death, I don't think. I think he's feeling more of the weight of the world's sin upon him. I mean, I know how heavy my own individual sin is, things I carry around in my life that make me feel shame, guilt, insecure, prideful, or whatever the case. Those things can be heavy. Just imagine the weight that Jesus is feeling bearing the weight of all of our sin in the garden. That's heavy. Father, is there a way around this? We are to request, and Jesus makes the request here. And there was requests from the disciples, too, you know, hey, don't fall into temptation. But the ultimate request for Jesus was that the Father's, that his will be done, not his own. Like, Father, your will, not mine. And so, on this idea of asking, when we go to the Lord's Prayer, we're told to ask for daily bread. And that's what that means, daily bread. It's a daily sustenance for the things that we need. And so what Jesus is encouraging us to do in the Lord's Prayer is to pray for what we need today. And I think Jesus is doing that here. Lord, is there any way around this? Just, and so when he says, your will be done, not mine, he's asking, God, what I need, give that to me. Whatever I need, give that to me. And that's what daily bread is. And daily bread something small, too. Daily bread something small. It's not, it, it's just, Lord, would you just give me what I need? And I think that's an important point when we're talking about asking. Um, and this raises other important questions when we're talking about prayer. Does prayer actually change things? Well, what happens when I ask and I don't receive? Or when I ask and I feel like God is silenced? That's one of the most common questions we get is, does prayer actually change things? Sometimes not. Sometimes, yes. It's complex. I don't have all the answers. But as I look through Scripture, I'm reminded of people like Habakkuk. He asks God to intervene. And then God says exactly how He's going to intervene. And then Habakkuk doesn't like the answer. He says, God, I want you to intervene. And God says, okay, here's what I'm going to do. And then Habakkuk's like, whoa, whoa, whoa don't, don't do that. Don't, don't, don't do that. And so Habakkuk receiving the answers didn't solve any problems for Habakkuk. It stressed him out even more. Ultimately, Habakkuk landed on faith again. But he was wrestling with God not doing things the way he wanted him to. He was confused and perplexed. So we find in the pages of Scripture, sometimes when we pray, God's will, when we pray, for God to intervene and He doesn't intervene the way we would hope or want. Sometimes that's the case. Sometimes God's answer is is no, and that's a difficult truth. But sometimes in Scripture we find where God seems to be flexible in relationship with His people. We see people like Moses intervene, and it seems to actually have a tangible effect. We see Hannah, who is struggling with infertility, begging God to give her a child, and and He does, and. And then we go to Mark 9. In Mark 9, you find this father whose son has been oppressed by a spirit for 12 years. And then the disciples try to get it out, but they don't. And Jesus comes along. He's able to help immensely, frees the boy from the spirit. And the disciples later say, why couldn't we do it? And Jesus basically said, this kind can only come out by prayer. And so what Jesus is saying there is there are some things that can only happen through prayer. Some things can only happen through prayer. And so this is an important point. The disciples here, apparently it was possible for them not to fall into temptation because Jesus told them to pray against it. They could have not fallen into temptation had they been in an enduring place of prayer. Yet, that's the tension. Sometimes, sometimes God intervenes in the way we'd hope and want and sometimes not. That's a tension that we must live in and not solve. And what I like about this is this is not saying that God cannot intervene. It's that He might not intervene if we don't pray. Paul says pray without ceasing. Maybe that's why, because we don't know what things require prayer and not, and we're just supposed to be cultivating intimacy with God. And so God answers prayer in things like yes, no, not now, or something else entirely. And sometimes it feels like God's silent when we're asking for things. But His silence should not be construed as absence silence is not absence. But when we ask, ask for daily bread. Start there. Start with small things rather than praying. Let me back up. Yes, pray for big things. Do. But pray for small things. And so as you pray for the salvation of the person that you want to come to know Jesus, yes, pray for salvation. That's a big thing. But pray in those singular moments. God, would you lead me in this random conversation with him? Help me be an encouragement to this person? Pray in small ways, because when you also pray in small ways, you have more to rejoice about and be thankful for. If we only celebrate when God does big things, we're going to despise Him when He doesn't do anything that we would like. So an enduring prayer life prioritizes intimacy over outcomes. We should ask, but prayer is primarily about intimacy. Just like a father and a child, when when my kids come up and ask me for things, they ask me for small things. Sometimes the answer is yes, sometimes the answer is no, and they ask me for big things. Sometimes the answer is yes, sometimes the answer is no, but it's relational. It's about intimacy, not outcomes. And so lastly, yield. When we look at this text, Jesus clearly says, not my will, but yours be done. Prayer is releasing our will and receiving the power to endure. Trust is most expressed when we're willing to release our agenda. And we only do this by continually going back to prayer and to endure. One of our elders, Fred, he says this. He says to in this space, what's required of prayer is what he calls staying power given by the spirit. Now, if you notice, if you look closely, God didn't give Jesus the power to escape the cross. He gave them the power to endure it. Jesus yielded to that. He received his daily bread. He received the strength he needed for what was in front of him. And this means that when we yield, God does give us what we need, when we need it, how we need it. Man, I can tell you so many times where I thought I wanted something, and then on the other end of it, realizing that that would have worked out awful if I would have gotten it. So sometimes, all the time, we need a a disposition of, Lord, I'm going to pause, I'm going to rejoice and be real, I'm going to ask you, and then I'm just gonna, I'm gonna yield to you. I'm gonna yield to you, I'm gonna surrender. An enduring prayer life, an enduring prayer life is developed when relationship with God is enough. When we realize that no matter what, God's got me and he will give me the strength to endure as I release my will for his. There's a lot we didn't cover in prayer here. We didn't cover confession. We didn't cover petition, intercession, all those important things. My hope today is just to provide you a starting place to pray, P-R-A-Y. If we can start here, then those other things will begin to unfold. And so as we wrap this up, know that God is not mad at you. He's waiting for you like a father, waiting for you to come to him. So fight for this space as you would other things in your life. Fight for this space. And also practice this with others pause with others rejoice and be real with others with god ask together in faith yield together and surrender nothing will bind people together more closely to god and to each other than prayer when people pray together it pulls them together in a spirit of unity that paul tells us tells us about and so with that Find the space in your life to pause, rejoice and be real, ask and yield. Start there and see what happens. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. Help us cultivate an enduring prayer life. Help us this week pray hard. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we'll see you next week. Thanks for checking us out and listening to the podcast. We hope this resource has been meaningful for you during this time in your life. We invite you to share this episode and leave us a review to let us know how we are doing in sharing the gospel in our cultural climate. Be sure to check us out online at thetablechurch.us.